Hi there, and welcome back to The State of Education, presented by One Room Education. My name's Katie, and today I'll be your guide as we find out the why and how behind the establishment of the modern public education system in America. (laughs) Trust me, I know what you're thinking. Katie, this is going to be super boring, but I promise, don't worry, it won't be as boring as it sounds. Who knows, if you stick around long enough, you might just learn something and maybe have a little bit of fun. Don't worry, I won't tell your friends. So come on in and have a seat while we discuss how and why the public education system was created. I want to make one thing very clear from the start of this episode. This is not meant to be an attack on the teachers in the traditional modern school system in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it is quite the opposite. I've been in your shoes and I understand the struggles that you face in the classroom on a daily basis with your students. Especially with all of the online quote-unquote education that has been going on over the past couple of years. I can honestly say that I personally have no idea how I would have handled having to try to wrangle 20 plus students in one Zoom class. God bless you for continuing to show up. And I just felt that that needed to be said to set the tone for what I'm actually going to be discussing. Disclaimer has been said, don't bully the public educators. Now, we're going to go ahead and move on into the actual content of this episode. When we think of the education system today, we think of students sitting in a classroom with the teacher in front of them droning on in some lecture about something that students aren't really interested and to be honest could care less about because they would rather just be outside playing or doing pretty much anything else. While this is true of some classrooms, I have to say almost every teacher I know has gotten frustrated more than a few times at their lack of ability during the school day to work with their students on a one-on-one basis to assess what their actual individual learning needs are and be able to address those needs. So if this is the perception of the modern education system, what is the purpose of it? Well, to answer that question, we have to go back to the start of the Industrial Revolution in America. When the Industrial Revolution hit the shores of America, America was still just a baby country, right? We were like 30 years old, maybe, whenever the main part of the Industrial Revolution hit. But with people like John D. Rockefeller, who owned Standard Oil, Andrew Carnegie of the Carnegie Steel Company, and J.P. Morgan, who I'm pretty sure we all know is a banker, With men like this leading the way, the American population began its migration from the rural farming communities to the manufacturing urban centers. With that migration of people 
leaving the rural farming communities into the large manufacturing centers. So think like Pittsburgh for the steel and Andrew Carnegie, right? People from the farmlands of the surrounding area moved to downtown Pittsburgh. That is a huge transition in mindset and lifestyle. It is for us in today's society. So imagine how hard it was for people in the 1800s. As the population is transferring from the more rural sort of agrarian lifestyle that they've been living into these manufacturing urban centers, it brings up the question, what are we going to do with the kids of these people that are moving into this new urban setting for jobs? And also, how are we going to prepare the up-and-coming generation to be able to fill these newly developed manufacturing jobs when they come of age? Well, in comes Prussia. So, (laughs) Prussia came up with what's called the factory schools model. Now, if you're wondering what the heck Prussia is, don't worry. Most people do. (laughs) It was located in modern day Germany and Western Poland. Now, what they did in Prussia was they took the industrialized approach that they had so successfully put towards their economic system and they applied that industrialized approach to their education. Education became impersonal, but it was effective and they standardized it. So there was no more individualization within that education system. The Prussian factory style schools caught on across the Western world and eventually spread to the Americas with the United States and Canada, both adopting this sort of education system. The Prussian factory style education system provided an industrialized version of education that filled a need for compliant, literate workers. Why would the workers need to be compliant and literate. Because if you think about the jobs before the Industrial Revolution, you either needed to serve someone and be compliant to their orders, or you needed to be literate so that you could educate yourself and become an entrepreneur. What was it about the industrialized world that required both compliant and literate workers. Well, there's this really interesting article, or at least I think it's interesting because I am a history nerd and an education nerd. So it's sort of like this bifecta thing that happened when I was reading it and I was like, I have to share this. It's from the journal IZA discussion paper number 4556 from November of 2009. The paper is titled Catch Me If You Can, Education and Catch Up in the Industrial Revolution. It's by Sasha Becker, Eric Hornung, and Luger Wozman. I'm sorry if I slaughter names. I would suggest getting used to it now because I'm really just not good at them. In this paper, Education and Catch-Up in the Industrial Revolution, the authors acknowledge that there is a lack of empirical data 
for pre-industrialized America specifically. That's because, again, America was still a baby country. We were brand new. We were still trying to figure out politics and how to run a country and still kind of fighting with each other, let's be honest. So we weren't really that invested in keeping educational records. What this paper does is it looks at Prussian history to figure out how education impacted the ability of a country to be able to participate in the Industrial Revolution. And they said, quote, we find that basic education significantly accelerated non-textile industrialization in both phases of the Industrial Revolution. Now, the one thing that, two things that are very important to note about that conclusion that they found in this paper, one, that it is the basic education that is significant to the acceleration of industrialization. We'll talk about that here in a couple minutes. And two, that it only applies to non-textile industrialization, which means that like if you learn about the Industrial Revolution, you learn that it began in England with the textile industry. So if that's the exception, then what's going on? This paper is fabulous. It explains everything. If you're looking for a resource when you're discussing the Industrial Revolution, I would say probably anything higher than sixth grade. I would highly suggest just going ahead and downloading this paper. It'll be available with the rest of the references at the website for this podcast. The website is one-roomeducation.com. That's one O-N-E dash room education. While you're there, make sure to sign up to get notifications to your inbox every time we upload content. Don't worry, all content, no spam. So what does all of this mean to us? And why should we care about what the Prussians did back in the day, right? For regions that developed industry outside of textiles, The public education system worked well since it allowed the people with the most talent for mathematics and management to be able to foster those talents to gain well-paying positions within the industries like steel and engineering during this time. And if you think about education today, that still applies, right? We have the honors programs, we have AP programs, we have accelerated programs, And these are all for the academically gifted. It puts them ahead. It puts them on a faster track to be able to get specialized education in whichever field they are showing innate talent for. England, like I said, was where the Industrial Revolution officially began, but the education system really wasn't that good there. So if... Formal education plays such a big role in the success of industrializing an area. Then how did the undereducated English lead the revolution for the entire world? Well, the paper addresses that and they say, if England led the rest of the world in the industrial revolution, it was despite, not because of, her formal education system. (laughs) So what they're saying there is that they have no idea what happened, how 
England became the leader of this industrial revolution for the world because in every other sector, the education and the industrialization go hand in hand. They're saying that England was essentially a statistical fluke. The paper suggests that if all of the Prussian countries, again, that's modern day Germany and Western Poland, had had only the educational level of the English, there wouldn't have been any noteworthy industrialization within Prussia by 1849 and only about one third of the actual total industrialization in Prussia would have happened by 1882. So that means that if the education system was as bad as it was in England, they would have had one third of the total industrialization they ended up having in Prussia. That's a huge impact that the Prussian system of education made for their industrial economic future. The general basic education that was implemented in Prussia aimed to create independent rational thinking and self-responsible action among the broad masses. This method of education proved to be particularly relevant within the evolving industrial environment within Prussia because it embedded the ability to deal with change in the students. In line with this, the paper found significant effects for basic education, but not for upper secondary and higher education. So that's like high school and college. The more basic education, so primary school or elementary school if you live in the US, the more of the primary education that you have, the more able the population is to help build an industrialized society. But high school and college has little to no impact on the ability for a society to industrialize, according to this paper. The authors of this paper include a quote from Lands. The quote reads, Elementary schooling as such has been important as a device for the recruitment of talent. The bigger the pool one draws from, the better the chances of finding gifted and original scientists and technicians. And I think that that pretty much embodies what the modern education is. Elementary school is set up to make sure that people all have the same baseline and anyone that shows any sort of natural talent for anything, especially when it comes to, I don't know, STEM programs. <laughs> Sound familiar? They are separated and they are mentored and groomed to go into the fields that they show early proficiency at. In addition to being a recruitment for talent, the formal education system was also important to impart behavioral traits and non-cognitive skills that were relevant to the factory production, to the factories actually being able to function, such as consciousness, dependability, self-control, discipline, punctuality, responsibility, orderliness, and perseverance. All of these qualities are things that we hold up as Americans as amazing values to have, and I believe that they are. 
And I do believe that they should be fostered within the education system. But the factory model of education doesn't allow for the participation of anyone that doesn't conform to the standardization of that system. The Prussian model of factory education spread to the U.S. and Europe, leading to the decline of the classical curriculum, which focused on teaching the students how to learn and how to think, as opposed to the factory school model that we know today as our modern education system, where we are taught what to think and what to learn. The transition from the classical educational model to the Prussian factory schools for both national economic development and individual mobility through the classes, think like lower working class slum people being able to work their way up and earn enough money to live comfortably in the middle class, right? That was the official establishment of the education system as we know it today. So... How will the Prussian model of education affect the future of American education moving forward? You know, isn't that just the biggest question that we have to answer? I don't know is the answer. And to be totally honest, anyone that says that they do know and has all of the answers, they're selling you a bill of goods that they can't back up. When we look at this education system that we have currently, we need to look at the people that are going into like pre-K and kindergarten today. And we as the education system have to predict what the economic system is going to look like in 13 years. And I hate to tell you, there is not one economist that has ever gotten that right, ever. So I'm not sure at what point people started assuming that the education system has this right. Because the way that we're teaching kids now, when we're teaching them what to think and what to learn in this general prescription that everyone has to conform to, that's not really working anymore. Especially with the tech economy coming up. And even if you look at the reduction of manufacturing and general skilled labors that are available in the economy, the people that are actually have the skills to fill those positions is extremely low because every single person in today's educational system, unless you live in like an outlying sort of community, you have been taught that academics is where it's at if you try to work with your hands or you say that you want to be a mechanic or a beautician and you go to at the school that we went to it was called Votech vocational technical training that you went to for half the day in high school if you went to a Votech program you were seen as they they're probably special ed right (laughs) they they're not going to be able to make it in the classical education system they're not going to go to college so you know let's let's help this slow thinker be able to do something with their hands now I understood that that wasn't the fact in high school the problem with this Prussian model is that it focuses on teaching the individual to conform You have to have a standardized message that you give to the students. And that standardized message has been, you must go to college, you must get a full-time job working in an office, and that is the definition of success. 
And I hate to tell you, but for a good portion of the population, sitting at a desk for anywhere between 8 and 16 hours a day, depending on what your field is that you went into, is not the definition of success. And it leads to empty lives because you don't have a purpose. You're just there as a robot doing work as a drone to make the corporation money. And you know that we have a term for it. It's called entering the rat race. Everybody knows that this is a problem, but nobody knows how to fix it. So they say, well, the only way to fix this must be through more education because if people have more education and more experience, then they'll be able to have a wider variety of opportunities that they can have access to, which I'm not gonna say is a totally irrational conclusion because I also think that people should have more experiences and more education and it does open up the variety of opportunities that people have access to. However, where I do differ with the modern educational philosophy is how you go about imparting that knowledge to the students and where you cut that off. You have to look at the extension of the modern childhood. What is the definition of childhood? So the colloquial definition of childhood would be the lack of adult responsibilities. And that time period is different for everyone. Some people, they lose their childhood extremely early due to loss of parents or drug or alcohol abuse or any situation that would make a child take on what we consider in the Western world to be adult responsibilities. So that's being able to earn an income, that's being able to care for younger siblings, or even adult or elderly family members as a caregiver of sorts. So childhood ends at different points for different people. In the modern Western world, however, with this general colloquial definition in mind, the age that childhood ends has extended significantly. It's a dependence on your parents or guardians to give you the basic necessities that you need. So you're a baby, you obviously get the care that you need. You grow up, you enter the public education system or you're homeschooled, whichever. It applies to both and your parents care for you. They provide you with housing, they provide you with food, they provide you with clothing. They provide you with the basic necessities to life. Then as you get older, It used to be that whenever you hit between 16 and 18, depending on where you lived, you went out and you got a job and you started to contribute to the household. And then you would go into your career path and then you would eventually move out and get married and start a family and you would become the caretaker for your children. This cycle isn't happening anymore in America and also in westernized Europe. It is the children that are being given everything that they need by parents who want their children to have easier lives than they had. And I get the motivation, but the execution is extremely and fundamentally flawed to the impairment of your children. Now, these children, I'm including my generation, the millennials, in that batch of children that have just been parented and protected to the point that they are emotionally, socially, and educationally stunted. 
I know people that have lived with their parents well into their 30s who aren't really contributing to the household in any significant way. And the expectation is that they just kind of won't, right? Because their parents are there to care for them and there's no standard for them. Whether this is right or wrong is up to the parent. In my personal opinion, that's not right because what happens if something happens to you? Your child won't know how to take care of themselves. So in many circumstances in modern America, if you look at childhood being a dependence on your caretakers, it can be extended well into your 20s when previous generations already were married and had kids. So it's kind of messing with the generational gaps and it's messing with the education system as well. Almost all sectors of the American economy are struggling to find people to work because the people in their 20s and 30s currently in 2022 have been told that if you do well in your primary education and your secondary education and then go on to college or university, then you're guaranteed to make a good income and you're guaranteed to have a good life. And that's not what happened for my generation for a lot of reasons that I'm sure that we'll discuss later. But that was the promise that my generation was given and that promise was not kept and now Anyone that I know that was raised primarily in the public education system is having a horrible time trying to adjust to the current economic system because it's transitioning to this sort of digital marketplace thing that's going on right now. I mean, I'm talking to you through a digital format. So I obviously, you know, have figured this out for myself. And these people just aren't able to do that because if they want to learn a new skill, they can't go out and learn it because they were never taught how to learn. They were taught what to learn. They were never taught how to think. They were taught what to think. So now we have to go back for an entire generation, going on two generations now with the Zoomers, and reintroduce the idea of how to think and how to learn on your own. I will address my thoughts and give some suggestions on how to deal with current generations and situations that are already that have already occurred that's a totally different discussion but my proposition to prevent this from happening to the next generation is that we re-establish the idea of the classical curriculum for everyone now i'm not saying that we have to homeschool everyone because that's just not feasible some people just aren't cut out to be educators that's okay. That's why education is a profession. Some people do need to be taught by a professional educator. That's fine. I embrace professional educators wholeheartedly. 
and the students should go to some sort of iteration of the current education system. Everyone should have the same base education. So everyone should learn reading, everyone should learn writing, everyone should learn arithmetic, and it should be the same general idea. And in addition to reading, writing, and arithmetic, I think that for our population to be able to continue to contribute to our American society in a meaningful way. I think that it's extremely important to reintroduce the idea of civics and politics back into the basic classroom. Every single citizen of whatever country you're in needs to understand the operation of its political system. If you're in the United States, you need to understand how local politics works. You need to understand how state politics works. You need to understand how national politics works. And if you are not educated on how those things work, then you are not able to meaningfully participate in them. And one of the main things, whenever you take away the how to learn and how to think, you take away the options from the future generations. You take away their ability to critically analyze what's going on around them, not only in the economic sector, but also in the political sphere and the educational sphere. So this is my proposition. In primary school, K through six, we teach reading, writing, arithmetics, civics. And then we can't forget that they're kids. They are five or six to like 10 or 11 is K through six in the United States. So we can't forget that they're little kids. They need to get out the wiggles. They need to run around. They need to play. They need to have those experiences with the natural world. And I want to use a quote from Andrew Carnegie that kind of summarizes that idea. He said, there is little success where there is little laughter. And if you think about the modern education system and think about how most of the schools have beige walls, most of the schools have a lot of dark woods in the trim and the doors and stuff like that. Most of the schools are designed to be impersonal. When I walk into a school, I want to hear little kids laughing and learning at the same time and having fun. That's not to say that they don't need to sit at a desk and pay attention at some points during the day. Absolutely they do. But they need to then apply those principles they've learned in a meaningful manner that will cement those concepts into their brains. And that is what is missing in the education system. And that's why there's such a gap in between academic years within the education system. If you've ever been in a classroom, you know that the first probably week, maybe two, depending on whether you're elementary or secondary education, is spent simply reviewing what you did in the previous school year because you're not gonna remember. The students don't remember what they learned for a plethora of reasons. But the main undercurrent of all of this is that the children aren't able to play. They aren't able to cement these concepts in their brain. All that's done is that they're told to memorize this through repetition, not through application. And again, that's the what to think and what to learn instead of the how to think. 
how to problem solve, how to learn yourself that came along with the Prussian factory schools. Reintroduce practical applications of the skills that you're trying to teach your students. And it doesn't have to be all fun and games, but it does have to be at a grade and age level appropriate manner. If you take this general concept of giving the students the base knowledge that they need educationally with reading, writing, math, and civics, and help them cement that in their brains through play and practical application, then you'll know what they're good at. You'll know where that child's talents lay. And when they go to secondary school, so we'll say grades 9 through 12 in the United States, so that's your high school years. The main original purpose of secondary education was pure job training so that whenever a student graduated high school, when he or she was 18, they would be able to go into the job force, get a job, and they would be able to support a family on that income for their entire lives. And this is something that has been lost within the education system, right? Unless you had parents that had the foresight to send you to something like a vocational technical training or VOTEC or something along those lines while you were in high school, you, and I can attest to this for myself, when I graduated high school, I had a lot of knowledge, but I did not have a lot of skills that translated to the job market. And that is something that needs to be addressed within the modern education system. Every single student that graduates from an American public institution should have a skill set that can translate into the workforce. If they don't, we're doing something wrong. The public education system should not be used as a funnel for for for-profit post-secondary institutions like it has become over the past mm, 20 or 30 years. This issue needs to be addressed very specifically and very harshly. And parents and educators and students themselves advocating for themselves and the education of their children and their students is the only way that this is going to happen. So bring the laughter back into the schools. Bring the laughter back into education. Help the children actually learn and succeed. Take Andrew Carnegie's advice. With that being said, I wanted to take a moment to tell you thank you so much for joining me today on the second episode of the State of Education podcast presented by One Room Education. If you enjoyed any of the content today, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you happen to be listening to me on. I'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. If you would like a full list of One Room Education content, including ways that you can support our work, please head over to one-roomeducation.com. Again, that's the word one, O-N-E, dash room, education.com. While you're there, you can sign up to get updates right to your inbox whenever we post new content. Also, if you would like to see some behind-the-scenes content along with so much more, please go ahead and head over to our social media accounts and make sure to follow us. On Facebook, we are at One Room Education. And on Instagram, we are at One Room underscore Education. Thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with me today. 
I hope to see you next time as we discuss the state of education.